So a couple of years ago, um, Steph and I took a trip. Uh, we we went, actually went out to a friend's wedding in Colorado. Um, I'm sure most of you, have, have y'all been to Colorado? Most of you? Okay. You, you guys like Colorado? Okay. Um, so we, I remember driving out, and off in the distance, you just see the mountains, right? Just towering, and it's, it's really pretty incredible. Whenever you're just, you're here going across plains, I know you start to get in some foothills, and then you just see this thing looming off in the distance, um, these mountains just towering above everything else. Well, whenever we went, by the time this was, I had been before, so I remember the towering mountains. And I, the whole way across Nebraska, we're watching, waiting, um, and we're coming along, but it's dark before we get there. Um, but even in the dark, even then, you could still see something off in the distance. And you knew what it was. Like, we knew, okay, we see the mountains now. Um, and just this this presence, this thing that's there. Um, and the reason I bring that up is, y- y'all, I'm sure you've heard, like, mountaintop experiences, right? Um, and we think about this, and, and it's a good analogy for faith. I mean, you're going along in the plains, and you think everything's okay, but then you just know that there's this awesome thing up ahead. And that's that's faith in Jesus. And we have we have faith, and, like, we, we go up this mountain, and now you got this mountaintop thing. Um, but see, then a lot of times we were like, okay, well, i got to climb the mountain. And once I'm there, I'm going to get to the peak, and then I'm there. Um, but that's not how the mountains work, is it? Um, instead, there's peaks and valleys and ups and downs. And about the time you get to this peak, you're like, well, there's a higher peak over there. But to get to that higher peak, there's this valley. Um, and you may not even see the peak, but you know, like, because people have, people have like measured these things, right? And you know you're not on the tallest peak. So you're like, I know there's a place that's higher than this. Um, problem is there's valleys in between. And I remember um, even before that, before we had kids, we, we had the privilege of going to Ireland. Um, so my wife and I and um, some of our family, we were driving across Ireland. And I remember we got all the way across the country and we got to the, the west side of Ireland. And there's this place called the Cliffs of Moher. Um, and some of you may be familiar, some of you may not, um, but it's just... You all seen pictures of Ireland. It's always green, right? It's always raining. It's just always green, right? The Emerald Isle. So we're driving across, and you get to the west coast of Ireland, and all of a sudden there's just these sheer cliffs, like the planet falls off, and you're going down into the ocean. Um, see, here's the thing: a lot of us think we're on the mountaintop. We're going along. Next thing we know, there's this sheer cliff, and it just drops off, and we're sitting there looking around, like, what happened? Everything was green, everything was nice and pretty, and we're thinking things are going smooth and everything's great. Next thing you know, you're in the water. Um, how, did, how did that happen? Um, I, I think that that may be a better analogy, because um, a lot of times we miss the point. Um, we miss it completely, and we wind up falling off a cliff, and then we're looking around saying, I didn't even see this thing coming. We're driving through in the dark, and we're just trusting. We're on this mountaintop. We're feeling good right now, but next thing you know, it just falls off. Um, and that's kind of what I would like to talk about today. See, because I think as we go through life, as we, as we follow Jesus, we think a lot of times we get to thinking things are going really great. And they probably are. Things are going well. You're up, you're feeling good, everything's great. The problem is then something goes awry. Um, and what is that thing? Why did that happen? And that's kind of what I want to talk about. That's kind of what we're going to look at. See, today what we're going to see is, is these men who were following Jesus, but all of a sudden they fell off the cliff. 
Things were going great. Everything was going smooth. But next thing they know, everything's falling apart. Like they just can't do what they thought they should be able to do. Um, They're experiencing very real problems. And Jesus says that it's all stemming from a lack of faith. Now, I'm not going to tell you that anytime you face adversity, it's because you don't have enough faith. That's, That's not the point I'm trying to make today. But I do think that there are times where we experience certain things. And the problem is really not in Jesus. The problem is in us. We have a lack of faith, and that's what I want us to look at today. But no worries. Um, I think we are all really good at diagnosing problems. Um, uh, You don't believe me. Let's start talking politics, and you'll tell me all the problems in Washington real quick. I guarantee you, you all could tell me problems. And then I say, okay, how do you fix it? Oh, well, that's uh, pretty complex. Okay, I know. Sometimes fixing it isn't as easy as just identifying the problem. Okay, so we're really good. We're really good diagnosing the problem. We can see the issues. But how do we fix it? So no worries. I'm going to tell you the problem. But my goal today is not just to leave you with the problem. I actually want to show you the solution from God's word today too. Okay, so that's my goal. I want to show you this lack of faith and the problems it leads to. But then I also want to show you the solution to that. So would you all stand with me out of respect for reading God's word? Uh, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 17, picking up right where we left off. And we're going to start in verse 14. Um, depending on which translation you're in either 20 or 21 that we're going through and you'll that'll make more sense later all right so matthew chapter 17 beginning in verse 14 it says this when they reached the crowd a man approached and knelt down before him lord he said have mercy on my son because he has seizures and suffers terribly he often falls into the fire and often into the water i brought him to your disciples but they couldn't heal him jesus replied You unbelieving and perverse generation, how long will I be with you? How long must I put up with you? Bring him here to me. Then Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out, came out of him. And from that moment, the boy was healed. Then the disciples approached Jesus privately and said, Why couldn't we drive it out? Because of your little faith, he told them. For truly I tell you, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you will tell this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Thank God for his word. You may be seated. Now let's pray together. Heavenly Father, uh, God, uh, I believe that you want us to understand your word. Um, I, I don't believe that you've spoken to us in some cryptic way. Uh, that we just can't understand. But instead, Lord, I I believe you've told us who you are, and you've told us who we are, and you've shown us how to respond to you. Um, So, Lord, as we we look at this text and we see uh, these these men with this lack of faith, uh, I pray that we might reflect on their shortcomings, but not so that we can just look and say something about them, but so that we can look and we can see how we need to respond to you, how we can avoid a similar lack of faith. So Lord, I pray that you would help us today to not only see the problems with this lack, but also see the solution. So Lord, today, as we look at this word, I pray that you would guide us, that you would teach us, and that we might be more faithful followers of yours uh, so that you might be glorified. Uh, Lord, I just pray that you would help us today. And we ask it in Jesus name. Amen. 
All right, so this lack of faith. I think we can agree that they have a lack of faith. That's what Jesus tells them. He calls them people of little faith. Um, so I think we can say they had a lack of faith, but then we also find the problem. So let's just start by looking at the results of their lack of faith, and then we'll get to the solution because I don't just want to beat you up today. I actually want to give you something tangible. So uh, first thing we find is that a lack of faith, it leads to failure. It leads to failure. Now, um, this one, this one I know I have felt, and this has been my story again and again and again. Okay? So we find that Jesus comes back. Now we have to rewind all the way back to last week. All the way back to last week. All right? Um, and last week, what we read about and what we talked about was the transfiguration. And even if you weren't here, you're probably familiar, at least vaguely familiar with this transfiguration where Jesus goes up on the mountain with these, with these three disciples of his, and it's there that he's transfigured, that God's glory has come beaming, it just comes beaming out of him. His face starts to glow, his clothes turn white. And next thing you know, Elijah and Moses show up here with Jesus on this mountain, and they're looking around thinking, what are we experiencing? And Peter winds up putting his foot in his mouth because that's what Peter does throughout, this, throughout the Gospels. But anyway, we see them up here on this mountain, literal mountain, with Jesus. And they have this experience with him as they see him transfigured. So they're gone. But as they're coming back, as they're coming back, they snap back real quick. Because it says in verse 14, when they reach the crowd. When they reach the crowd. Um, now this week... We get to the other disciples and the crowd that's now formed around him. And actually, I think, I think Mark helps us with the context here just to kind of help catch the scene and actually see what's happening. Um, in Mark chapter 9, verse 14, it says that there were some scribes who were disputing with, or, or with these disciples. Presumably the nine that were left behind as Jesus took the other three. So the nine disciples who were left here are now in this dispute with some scribes. And we find that it's because they were unable to heal a man, uh, a man's son. And I imagine that as these four, Jesus and the three he took with him, as they walk up to this crowd, I imagine tensions are probably pretty high. Um, things are tense, the disciples are confused, they're, they're unsure of what's going on, and Jesus approaches. And as, he, as they're coming up towards this crowd, it says in verse 14 that Jesus was approached by a man. He approached and he knelt down before him. Now, we don't know much about this man who came up to him. Um, we really, I don't think we need to. All, all we know is that this man, he had a son, and we know at the very least that he wanted to trust Jesus. He wanted to believe in Jesus. Um, Mark chapter 9, verse 24, it tells us there in a parallel, like the same story being told by Mark. It says that this man, he cries out to Jesus and he says, I do believe. Help my unbelief. Clearly, this man wants to trust in Jesus. He wants to believe. He, there's something in him, and he wants to believe that Jesus can help him. But out of this crowd, this man comes up and he kneels down before Jesus. And we read this in our English translations in the 21st century. And we're like, this man worshiped Jesus here. Um, that's not actually what's indicated here at all. Instead, this is just a, a sign of humility, desperation. It's not really worship like we think about worship. He's not praising Jesus like we would think about falling down before Jesus. So he comes up and kneels down before him, showing him respect, showing them that he's bringing this humble request to him. And then he gives his request. Verse 15, the man says... Lord, have mercy on my son, because he has seizures and suffers terribly. Okay, and again, he calls him Lord, but I don't believe this is a messianic title here. I don't think he's saying you are God. That's uh, post-resurrection. Like after Jesus is raised from the dead, this word Lord took a whole different connotation. But here, it's like saying sir. Okay, so this man comes, he kneels down before Jesus, showing him respect, and he says, sir, I need help. I need help. But notice specifically what he asked for. He says, 
Lord, have mercy on my son. Have mercy on my son. And why? Well, because this son had seizures and he says that he suffers terribly. And just to give you an idea what's going on, again, uh, Mark's helpful here. Um, so just to give you an idea what actually happens whenever he has these seizures, how he's suffering terribly. It says in Mark chapter 9, verse 18, it, it says, Whenever it seizes him, it throws him down and he foams at the mouth. He grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. Now, in Mark, he flat out says this is tied to demon possession, um, that he has a demon in him. Now, it's assumed here in Matthew, and I think Matthew's audience probably would have gained this from context. So we find he's demon-possessed, he's got these seizures, throws him down, foams at the mouth, grinds his teeth, becomes all rigid. And apparently, um, this possession had led him to harming himself. Uh, both Matthew and Mark, uh, Mark 9.22, it tells us many times it's thrown him into the fire or water to destroy him. So this, this possession that this, this son is dealing with, it's causing him to become somewhat suicidal. It's trying to hurt him. So he's being thrown into fire, into water, and this father's looking at his son saying, I don't know what to do. I have no idea how to fix this. I am at my wit's end. So he requests mercy. He says, have mercy on my son. Now, uh, you all know what mercy is. We, we use this term all the time in the church, right? Like we need God's mercy. Um, but what, what is this, this mercy thing? Um, fun, fun fact, this word mercy that we have in our English translations, you could also be translated as pity. Um, now, if I tell you you need pit, God's pity, most of you are going to be like, I don't need pity. I don't want your pity. Um, I know most of y'all. You guys are headstrong people. I know. You don't like, you don't like to ask for pity because why? We're, we're proud. We think we're pretty self-sufficient. I don't need pity. Get that out of here. We dress it up and we think in the church, well, we can ask for mercy. That's okay. But I'm not asking for your pity. That's not what I'm asking for at all. Uh, I mean, we're going we're gonna to figure this out. Like, I, I remember as a kid, I'm going to pick up my mom for just a minute, um, and she's going to be mad at me later. She says, oh, great. Um, I, I remember as a kid, she, she would occasionally say something like, hey, just go throw yourself a pity party. Uh, not really. My mom was way more kind than that. She would never, never say something like that, ever. Um, but, but maybe that was fair, because there were some times where we would, we would have our own little pity party. right? We'd go sit in the corner, we'd pout, and we'd feel bad for ourselves, and we'd be like, well, just, that's not what I'm telling you you need to do. That's not what I'm trying to get at. Okay? Um, but what I am saying is this. Whenever we come to God and we ask for mercy and we say, God, I need your mercy. God, I need you to have mercy on me. I need you to have mercy on my son, this man. What, there's, what we're saying is, God, we need you to look at us and take pity on us. We need you to see our state and feel bad because we are in such a miserable condition. There's nothing we can do on our own. That's what we're saying whenever we ask for God's mercy. We can't fix it. All right? So, again, I'm not telling you to go sit in the corner and say, woe is me. What I'm saying is you need to realize that there's nothing you can do about your eternal condition, but God can and God has. Um, I was having a conversation with somebody just this week, and I was like, well, God, God can change it. God, God can do something about what we, like our position. And this guy's response was, and he has. Like, he already has done it. Like, it's done in Jesus. We, we've already got the solution. So here the father, he realizes that his son, he needs help, and that neither the father nor the son, they can fix the problem, so he pleads with Jesus for this mercy. He comes up and says, Lord, have mercy on my son, or have pity on my son. Now, um, verse 16, we find that the disciples, they weren't able to do anything about it. Um, it says, he says in verse 16, he says, I brought him to your disciples, but they couldn't heal him. And the disciples, again, presumably the nine that had been left by Jesus, um, they're here, and this man brings his son to the disciples, right? They've, surely he's heard about these disciples who have been around. They've been healing people already. And so they hear about this. He brings his son to him and says, would you heal my son? Like, my son needs help. 
But the disciples can't do anything. They're incapable of doing what he's asking. Um, now, these disciples failed. They, they failed. They could not heal. They could not heal the son. Um, and it made me think about this as I was reading through it. Like, how many times have I felt like a failure? Just like I was totally and completely incapable of doing what I felt like I should be able to do. Um, how many times has that happened? Like, uh, just an example. Like, I, I, I know that there have been times in my life, and I'm sure you have had these, where God's given you an opportunity. God's given you an opportunity. And you're thinking, okay, here's the opportunity. And you see it, and you know what it is. But you fail. And for some reason, like, it's, okay, I'm going to share the gospel with this person. And then you're like, you know what? I, and then for fear or whatever it is, that thing in us, you just, you don't. And afterwards, you're like, man, I'm such a failure. Or maybe we'll take a step back. Maybe you're not talking, maybe you're not thinking about sharing the gospel with somebody. Maybe you're thinking about somebody, something else. Um, maybe you're saying you're going you're gonna to accomplish a relatively simple task. A relatively simple task. Like, let's just say you decide you're going to start reading your Bible more consistently. Something that you can do. Like, you know that you can do this. You decide, okay, I'm going to start a Bible reading plan. And I'm going to read one chapter from the Bible every day. One chapter. I'm going to read a Bible every day for a month. One month. One chapter a day. You're like, I can do this. And then three days later, your New Year's resolution's out the window and you're not doing it anymore. Y'all ever done that? Because I have. And afterwards, I look at it and I'm like, man, I am such a failure. Why? Why? That's a simple task. Why did I fail? Y'all ever felt that way? Or maybe there's a, a habitual sin. There's this thing in your life and you're like, you know what? I know I need to get rid of this. I know there's this thing that's lingering here and I know that I can get rid of this. And I know what God's word says and he's given me victory over that sin. Like I have victory over this sin. I know that I'm freed from it. I'm not a slave to sin anymore. I can, I can get past this. And then next thing you know, you're falling right back in the same habit. And you just look at it and you're like, man, I'm such a failure. Y'all ever felt that? Maybe I'm alone. I see a few heads nodding. Maybe I'm not completely alone. Um, I don't know how many times I have felt like a failure. Now, what in the world is the cause of that failure? What is the root of that failure? And I think Jesus diagnoses the problem well. Now, Jesus doesn't do very many things that he doesn't do well. Um, so here in verse 20, I think he gives us a problem. The disciples, they come to Jesus and they say, why couldn't we do it? Why did we fail? Why did we fail? And Jesus answered in verse 20, he says, because of your little faith. He says, you failed. To do the very thing that you've been commissioned to do because of your little faith. Because of your little faith. Now, just so that we're clear, the disciples had been given authority to do this very thing. Back in Matthew chapter 10, we talked about this. Matthew 10 verse 1, it says, Summoning his twelve disciples, he, Jesus, gave them authority over unclean spirits to drive them out and to heal every disease and sickness. They'd been given authority to do this. They had been given what they needed to accomplish this task. And they failed because of their little faith. Now, that may sound funny. They've been getting, given the power to do this, but they couldn't do it. Okay, was the disconnect on the power's end, or was it on their end? Apparently, in this case, it was on their end. It was because of their little faith. And I believe the reason we fail so often to do the very thing that we know that we can do and the very thing that we should do is because of our little faith. And now, um, I told you, um, maybe you feel about this big right now. About this big, like I failed again and again, it's my fault because I don't have enough faith. I'm going to give you the solution to the problem, okay? We're going to get there. But I have one more symptom I want to cover real quick before we get there, okay? So failure is one problem. 
one symptom of the problem, and it comes from our little faith, but there's another, and that is a lack of faith. It leads to frustration. A lack of faith leads to frustration. Not just failure, but then the frustration. And this plays out in several different ways here in the text. We find the frustration with those around the believers, like those around the disciples. Um, So there will be, as you experience these failures, there's going to be frustration in people around you. There will. We find in verse 16, the boy, uh, uh, the boy of this, the father of this boy was clearly frustrated. Mark tells us that this has been going on for some time, like since the boy was a child. And we see that this has just been going on and on and on. And he says, well, I'm going to go to those people who are supposed to be able to deal with this problem. And they failed. And now he's saying, I I don't know what to do. Lord, help me. I've got nowhere else to go. I've tried everything. Even those people who are supposed to do something, I've experienced these repeated failures. And I think that you can almost feel the frustration coming out of his father. Like, I I know. I, I know. I've watched people with chronic illness deal with the frustration that comes again and again and again. And they just say, I don't know what to do. Why is God not fixing this? And I'm not saying every time you have a chronic illness, it's because, well, you don't have enough faith. That's not my point. But I've watched people deal with the frustration that comes with something like this. And they go to the people that claim to have the answers, but even that doesn't seem to help. Then what? Then what? And there's this frustration that comes up. And this father knows he needs help. But he just can't seem to find it. Just can't seem to find it. And he even seems to want to believe, like we talked about earlier, right? He wants to believe the answer is found here in Jesus, but repeated failures, even with Jesus' closest followers, have just led to this increased frustration. And Mark tells us that his father's basically pleading. In Mark 9, 22, he comes to Jesus and he says, If you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. If you can do anything, just help us. I love Jesus' response in Mark 9, 23. He says, If you can, if you can, everything is possible for the one who believes. That's Jesus' way of saying, Are you kidding me? Of course I can do this. Now, this man wants to believe, but he's frustrated, he's struggling, and he responds. This is where he says in Mark 9, 24, he says, I do believe, help my unbelief. He wants to trust that Jesus can do this, but he's seen too many times things that he thinks are supposed to be able to fix a problem, and they fail, and they fail, and they fail, and now he's frustrated. He says, if you can do anything, if you can do anything. Now, this man wants to believe, but the frustration that comes along with these repeated failures has taken him in the wrong direction. Um, fortunately enough, Jesus is greater than our unbelief, and he can even fix that, which I think is evident from him saying, Lord, I do believe, help my unbelief. Jesus can fix your unbelief. So we see the frustration that can occur with those around us whenever we have little faith. Because um, again, this boy's problem was not even a direct result of his little faith. It was the inability of the disciples' faith. But then we see the frustration that comes out of Jesus. Right? Verse 17, Jesus replied, You unbelieving and perverse generation, how long will I be with you? How long must I put up with you? Now, can you imagine how big you would feel if Jesus said this to you? How long do I have to put up with you people? Like, come on. I feel that all the time with you. No. Um, some of you are thinking, you're not to put up with us any longer, Jared. Um, Jesus is clearly frustrated by the lack of faith in these men. Clearly frustrated. How long do I have to put up with you? And he's kind of using similar language to Deuteronomy 32, 20, where God, through Moses, he says this. He says, I will hide my face from them. I will see what will become of them, for they are a perverse generation, unfaithful children. Those people who belong to the community, children, who are being unfaithful. Again, he's just frustrated by it. And there are people who know Jesus, and that's precisely why he expresses this frustration. 
Because they should know him. They should know the power. They should trust that his power is enough. And they should know better. Because they've seen his power at work in them. They know where it comes from. So, Jesus shows that he does actually have the ability to cast out this demon. That the power is enough. And he calls this boy to himself. And he rebukes the demon. And the boy's healed. But then, we see the frustration with those around the failure. But then we see the frustration in Jesus. And finally, we see the frustration within these men themselves. Within these men themselves. Right? And this is maybe the worst part of the frustration. After repeated failures, you just get frustrated with yourself. I know I have, and I just like wanted to pound my head on the wall saying, why don't you get this, dummy? Like, why can't you figure this out? And this is the part within yourself. Verse 19, the disciples, they approached Jesus privately and said, why couldn't we drive it out? Now, they, they had enough respect for Jesus, again, to talk to him about a private, but part of that is also their own guilt. Like, I don't want to bring this up in front of everybody and just advertise that I'm a failure. So they call Jesus aside and they ask him privately, why couldn't we do this? Because, again, they're frustrated. They're like, I've been given what I need to do this. Like, Jesus, you told us we could do this. Why can't we do this? Why can't we get this thing done? Like, we should be able to do this thing that we're tasked with. And, again, I can't count how many times I've been frustrated because I know I've been given power by God to accomplish something only to fail again and again and again. And I'm just like, God, what is going on? Like, why, can't, why is this happening? And I think that's what these men are feeling. So they go to Jesus and they just ask, why did we fail? So a lack of faith, it leads to failure and it leads to frustration. And I hope you feel it. Like, I know I have. Even this week as I was thinking about this, I, I was re- reminded of things from my past. And I was just, again and again, frustrated because I failed again and again. And I felt it. Lack of faith leads to failure and frustration, but there's a solution. I don't, I don't just want to leave you hanging. There's a way to fix it. Like, I don't think we have to continually feel this lack of faith, this failure, and this frustration. I think there's a solution. And the solution to our lack of faith is discipleship. That's the solution. It's discipleship. Being discipled by Jesus. Um, so we find their ineffectual faith, right? In verse 20, um, they're unable to do this. And then Jesus says, because of your little faith, for truly I tell you, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you will tell this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Now, I don't believe that this is quantity. Like, you just got to continually, like, count more faith, pull in more, pour more seeds over here, more seeds over there. I don't think that's the point. Um, they were clearly... They clearly had some kind of faith, right? They had trusted Jesus. They responded to his call whenever he said, come follow me. Clearly they have something that looks like faith at least. And Jesus says, you only need this seemingly insignificant amount of faith, right? He says, it's the size of a mustard seed. You all know mustard seeds are tiny, itty bitty, all right? He says, that's all you need. And if you do that, then you're going to be able to move a mountain. Like, tell the mountain, move from there to there. So as I'm driving up to the Rocky Mountains out in Colorado, I, I used to think this way. Like Jesus said, if I had even just a little bit of faith, I could just tell this mountain, get up and move. Um, it'd be way easier to get to California if you want to go to California. It'd be way easier to get there if you just tell the mountains to get out of the way. Um, so I always, I remember as a kid, I always tried stuff like this. Like, I could tell this mountain to move. So I'd be driving to Mount City, it'd be just like, just get out of my way, Mount City. Um, it's not really a mountain, but it's a hill and grew up in Oregon. So I always wanted Mount City out of my way. Um, so here we are. Um, anyway, so I always thought that, but that's not what he's talking about, is it? He's not talking about physically moving a mountain. I don't think that's the point. Instead, this was proverbial. And you all get this, like making a mountain out of a molehill. You get this saying, like, I'm not really going to turn a molehill into a mountain, am I? No, we're making something a bigger deal than it is. And this is proverbial. Whenever he says you can move a mountain, he's saying you could do something that is incredibly difficult. Like, incredibly difficult things can be accomplished with even a seemingly insignificant amount of faith. 
This little amount of faith. See, I don't believe he's talking about quantity here. I think he's talking about quality. The quality of the faith. Um, The problem was their faith was not maturing. It was not growing. See, just like the mustard seed, just like the mustard seed, it would grow into a huge plant. I mean, you ever seen, it's not actually technically a tree, but, you know, you ever seen a a mustard plant? Like what that seed turns into? They're huge. I should have put a picture in there, but I didn't. You know, get out your phone and Google it if you want. I don't care. Um, But they turn into a huge plant, this massive plant. See, but the problem is that seed has to be growing. It has to change. It has to die and then turn into something else. It has to be growing. And that's the problem these men have. They're not growing. They're not changing. They're not maturing in their faith. They've changed somehow. But I do believe that faith can accomplish the job. Faith can accomplish the job, right? Um, certainly it was enough to accomplish this task. Jesus says at the very end of verse 20, he says, nothing will be impossible for you. And I think whenever he says nothing, I think he means nothing will be impossible for you. Um, Their faith just had to be of a better quality. Now, (laughs) does that just mean that if you believe enough, then you can have anything your heart desires? Um, No, that's not my point. I I suppose it could if you desired what God desired. um, Then yes, the answer is yes, faith will be enough. Um, But no, remember that the context is important. What these men were trying to accomplish here were works of the kingdom, right? They had been commissioned to go and cast out these demons, to do the works of the coming kingdom. And their inability is this. It's their inability to do what God had commanded because their faith was of this poor quality. So the poor faith was the problem, but what's the solution? Now, something really interesting happens here at the end of verse 20. In your translations, if you look, verse 20... Go straight to verse 22. Um, that is, unless you read from the King James or the New King James. Um, it, most of our modern translations will omit verse 21. And some of you who are a little obsessive compulsive are thinking, Jared, why did you show me that? It's going to drive me nuts. Yeah, it goes from 20 to 22. Why in the world would it do that? Well, okay. Um, the King James, just so you know, New King James actually, it says in verse 21, it says, however, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. And the reason it's not there in a lot of our translations and a lot of your Bibles is because the earliest known manuscripts, verse 21, does not exist. It's not there in some of the earliest manuscripts. That's why it's not there in your Bibles. That said, I think it's fine to include this. I don't think it's inappropriate to include this for a few reasons, and I'm just going to share those. Um, this, this verse um, would have been the understanding of many of the first century Jews that Matthew was writing to. That they needed to have a better quality of faith, that meant that they needed to have a better prayer life and they needed to fast. That they needed to turn and seek God. They would have recognized the poor quality as a result of a disconnect from God because of a lack of prayer and fasting. So I think it's appropriate for that reason. Second, uh, I think we find, actually I know we find, in Mark chapter 9, 29, something very similar to what is in verse 21 of Matthew 17. It says that Jesus told them this kind can come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. So Mark, Mark says it, okay? So I don't think it's inappropriate to include it in Matthew if you want to. Um, finally, I think it's consistent with the rest of Jesus' teaching and with the New Testament as a whole. So I think it's fine. It's fine. And I'm actually going to use it this morning because I think it's helpful for us. So let's use it. See, the failure of these, of these men apparently came when they stopped growing. They became reliant on their own ability or what they had done before. They thought, well, we've accomplished this before. We can do this again. And they became reliant on what they could do. Said, okay, let's do this. So rather than continually, daily, repeatedly relying on the connection that they had with God through Christ, 
they lost sight of the source of their power. It wasn't in them. It was in Jesus. It was in God and his power. So why do I say that the solution to our lack of faith is discipleship if it's just prayer and fasting? Aren't those things that we practice on our own? Well, where do we learn those things? Where do you learn about prayer and fasting? And now most of you are going to cheat and say, well, we learn them by reading the Bible. That's great. That means you're reading your Bible. Fantastic. That's great. I hope you are. And I hope you learn about those things by reading your Bible on your own. But let's remember, again, not only who Jesus is talking to, but who he's writing to. This first century Jewish audience, most of them were likely illiterate. They couldn't read. So whenever Jesus says, well, you do this by prayer and fasting, where do they learn about prayer and fasting? Could they do it by reading? Well, the answer is no. Um, Even some of the more liberal estimates on first century Jewish people, um, it suggested that the literacy rate was only about 20%. 20%. And those were some of the more liberal estimates. Uh, I saw some that were as low as 5%. So most people unable to read. So they couldn't just pick it up and read it. Not to mention, they didn't have the New Testament like we do. So they couldn't just pick it up and read it and learn about these things. That's not how it works. So how did they learn about prayer and fasting? How did they learn to practice prayer and fasting? How did they learn what this actually meant in their own lives? Through discipleship. Through discipleship. They learned from someone else. And even though most of you can probably read uh, the plan for growth and replication that Jesus sets up is discipleship. What are we commissioned with? Go, therefore, make disciples. Disciples. We're told to train people. We're to be a group of people learning and living in community as they become more like Christ, as we become more like Christ. That's what we're supposed to be. So the solution we get here in Matthew and the solution for us today is pretty simple. Discipleship. We need to be discipled. We need to be taught. So lack of faith, it leads to failure and frustration, but the solution is discipleship. Now, What do we do with this? Okay, well, again, I know y'all have felt the frustration of repeated failures in your life. I know you have. Um, And I've already told you there are too many in my own life to count, um, and I'm not going to rehash all those today. But I know I've asked myself, why can't I do this? And I think maybe the answer for us is this. I think maybe we're trying too hard to do it in isolation. Um, I think this is a real problem, especially in the culture we live in that's becoming increasingly individualized. And all these tools we have to have better social connections, social medias, maybe it's picked on too often. But we think, well, we're social because yeah, I, I hear what my friends are doing all the time. But we've lost real connection with other people. Um, and we try to do all of these disciplines of the Christian faith, all, all of these things that you're supposed to do as good Christians. We try to do them in isolation. Like I can do this on my own. I can read my Bible on my own, I can pray on my own, I can fast on my own, all those things. And that's probably true. You probably need to practice all those things by yourself. But that should not be the only avenue for you to practice those disciplines. It should not. Last week I told you to read your Bible. This week I'm going to tell you keep reading your Bible. But I also want to encourage you to pray and to fast. Now, I also want to encourage you, however, not just to do these things in isolation. Don't just do these things in isolation by yourself. Find a way to have someone else doing these alongside you. Um, one application I'm going to give you today that's really pretty simple. Uh, I think it's simple. Um, go to Sunday school. Like, go to Sunday school. You get into a smaller group where you actually have people who know you and can hold you accountable, and you can help hold them accountable, and you can encourage one another. Like, that's a good thing. We just, we just talked about this with, uh, with our Sunday school class this morning. Um, we talked about how we're going to start sharing more how we want to encourage one another. Now, I'm not trying to build up a heavy burden so that you feel guilty if you don't get something done. Like, if, oh, no, I missed two days. I didn't read the last two days. Well, I'm not going to throw you out and say, well, how dare you? Shame on you. 
you're a horrible human being. That's not the point. The point is we need to encourage one another, to build one another up. So don't just do these things in isolation. Sunday school is a great way to do it. But even if you can't do that, find somebody else. Find someone who's a more mature Christian who you look at and say, I want to be like them as I grow in my faith. Like, find that person. Ask them if they'd be willing to meet with you periodically. Have a plan so that you can grow. So I'd encourage you, find someone else. Set concrete times to talk or to meet. And that's item number one. But item number two is I want to encourage all of you, all of you. Like, I don't think we should just say, hey, well, find a Sunday school class and you guys can do this on your own. Let's do this as a church. We can do this as a church. Um, So I want to encourage all of you. I I plan to fast this Friday. And I'm not telling you that as a way of saying, hey, look at me. I'm going to fast because I'm more spiritual than other people. No, I'm actually asking you to join me. You go through scripture, there are times where they have nationwide fasts. Um, I'm asking you to join me Friday in fasting as we ask God to move in us and around us and through us. So as much as you're able, I want to ask you to fast and to pray as we seek God, ask, as we ask him to move, as we look for him um, to help us become more faithful as we follow him. Like I'm not saying this has to be anything like, oh no, I have this horrible disease and I need cure. That's, why, that's, that's a good time to fast and pray. It's not the only time. We need to ask God to move in us and through us and to show us where he's leading. And I'm confident that as we seek him, we'll see God's power at work in our lives as individuals, but also in the life of us as a church. So I encourage you, fast, pray, study God's word, and don't do it in isolation. We can do this together. We can do this in small groups. But find a way. Find a way to be disciple. That's how I want to encourage you today. Let's pray. Father, you, you are good. Um, and the plan that you've set in front of us is even bigger than what we can see. Um, Lord, but you've, you've revealed some elements to us. You've shown us how to move forward. You've shown us how to overcome a, a lack of faith. Um, Lord, and I pray that you would convict us again, that you would show us again that we don't have to try to overcome these obstacles on our own, but instead we have brothers and sisters We have friends and family around us who want to come alongside us and help us where we're weak. Father, see, I think the problem we have oftentimes is that we ask for for help, uh, all the while turning away our church family around us. Um, So, Lord, I pray that we would be faithful not only in asking for help, but then also giving the help when it's asked for. So, Father, I pray that you would teach us to live in community, that you would teach us to be discipled, that you would help us to look not only for those that we can disciple, but those who can disciple us. Um, Lord, and we might grow in the likeness of Christ. Uh, so, Lord, this week, this week, I'll just start there. That's, that's more than I can usually manage. So, Lord, I pray that this week you would help us to seek you, that you would give us a desire to seek you through prayer and fasting and through study of your word. Lord, and I pray that as we, as we look to you, as we look and wait for the, the day that's coming when you return, um, Lord, I pray all the more we would strive to be like Jesus, that you would give us strength, that you would give us endurance that Alan talked about a little bit ago, to strive forward, um, not by our own strength, but by the power that works in us, by, by Jesus and his power. Um, so, Lord, I pray that you would carry us, that you would direct us, and that we might become more and more like your son. Father, I thank you for this time. I thank you that we could open your word together and we could see we could see these failures and these frustrations, but then we could also see the way forward. 
Uh, So Lord, I pray that you would help us to take that way. And I ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.